The title of our message this morning is Built by God. It's God who builds your house. It's God who builds your marriage. It's God that puts the broken pieces back together. Someone say that. Everybody say that after me. Say, it's God who puts the broken pieces back together in your life. Everybody say, it's God that makes my iPad work. Because it just went blank. Everything went blank. The devil is a liar. And Jesus is the Messiah. Hallelujah. Let's go to a backup here, if I can do that. All right. So here's the principle. If you build God's house, he will build yours. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 13 says, He, being you, shall build a house for my name. You build his house. This is what he promises. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom, your kingdom, forever. Somebody say amen. We build what God wants. He builds what we want. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. This is the law of seek first, or seeking things first, or first seek, okay? Whatever you seek first in your life becomes what you ultimately depend upon. If you seek your lawyer when um, uh, you have some, uh, you have some, let's say, some uh, legal trouble, uh, you'll begin to depend upon your lawyer. If you seek your doctor when you have some health challenges, you will begin to depend upon your doctor. If you seek your landlord when you're unable to make the rent and you need help, a little bit of mercy, you'll depend upon the landlord. And, and the deal is they might be able to help somewhat, but they have limited resources by which to help you. But the Bible says if we seek first God and his righteousness, all the things we need will be added to us. I'm going to teach. I'm not going to preach right now. But he does own a cattle on a thousand hills. He said the gold is mine and the silver is mine, says the Lord. God owns it all and everything therein. So your God is not broke. He's not El Chipo. He's El Shaddai, which means he's more than enough. Amen. So we got to seek God first, especially when trouble comes. Psalms chapter 84, verse 10 says this. For a day... David writes, a day in your courts is better than a thousand. David is saying, I'd rather sacrifice a thousand personal days, days on my own, for just one day in your house. He's now putting value on the house of God. I would rather be a doorkeeper, he said, in the house of my God. In other words, the least exciting duty than dwell in the tents of the houses of wickedness. So the first step to having your life built by God and not by you is first having a heart for his house. David was the king, and yet he made it clear that his first place and responsibility and priority wasn't the palace, but the first place for him and for his family was the house of God. Where are our priorities? Do we have a heart for God's house? Does this church, faith builders, matter to you and your family? Does it have any value to you? These are questions you need to ask yourself to measure whatever you, uh, your heart has or whatever's in your heart to know if it is for God's house or it's for your house. Remember, the principle is I build what he wants, God builds what I want. And look, church, we have a generation who's not making God's house a priority. 
They're just not anymore. And that's not on them. That's on us. we got to set the standard. If we're not having a heart for God's house, how can we expect our neighbors to? How can we expect our children to? I'm preaching better than y'all want to shout, but maybe it's not a shout message, but it'll get there. My point to you is this, is one of the things I'm so glad about, and, and the reason why I believe I'm serving God today, is because my parents made it a priority to put God's house first. And we were raised in the house of God. And, and I've, I've met people, and it's unfortunate that, that, uh, that, were, that have grounded their kids from church. These are Christian people. Grounded their children from coming to the house of God. I know for in, in my life when I was a kid, I know that my we were at my my uh, cousin's home and it was a Wednesday in the summertime and and uh, we all were churchgoers and we we're all Christians and and everything and and uh, the kids were all of us were going to go to church that night and uh, they decided their family was not going to go that night and that wasn't unusual or uncommon and I remember my cousin basically begging my aunt, uh, we want to go to church. We just want to go to church. And she's all, oh, you just want to be with your friends. We got things to do. Now, we went to church that night. We left early and went to church, and they stayed home. I'm here to tell you, I love them all, good people, but most of my cousins are not serving God today. I believe it's because we didn't set, they didn't set the standard properly. When you set the standard, say, as for me and my house, we're going to make his house a priority, and we'll serve the Lord. Your children will turn out differently. What we need is a newfound passion for God's house. John chapter 2, verse 17. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. That's passion. He was eaten up. Wow. Jesus is the one who actually spoke those words. Jesus had so much passion for God's house that he was consumed with it. He lived it. He breathed it. This was not something small for the Lord. This was a big, big deal. Jesus bled and died for the church. And someone might say, well, those people at Faith Builders, that's what they believe over there, man. They're just a bunch of uh, fanatics, to which I say yes and amen. We are fanatics for Jesus. The word, the word fanatic has the word fan in it, and I'm a fan of Jesus. I'm a fan of the blood. I'm a fan of redemption. I'm a fan of forgiveness. I'm a fan of mercy. And I'm a fan of his house. Somebody give the Lord a shout of praise. And I want to offer this little wisdom nugget for you as well. Once God is placed in you in, rather, this church or a church, lay your roots down deep. That's, you're not here for no reason. You're not here just to get a nice little word and message. Lay your, there's uh, abilities that you have. There's talent that you have. There's resources that you have in order for us to come together and stay in unity and for the church to grow. That, that has to happen. But more than that, when you lay your roots down deep, you become fruitful. And a fruitless life is a frustrated life. And sometimes you're frustrated because you're not being fruitful. And the reason why you're not fruitful is because you haven't laid your roots down deep yet. Psalms 92 verse 13 says, those who are planted, those who are planted, say together, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall what? Flourish, be fruitful in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. I'm storing up stuff for my future. Come on, somebody. And they shall be fresh and flourishing. That means no matter if they go through drought, trouble, trials, tribulations, whatever the case, if I got my roots laid down deep, 
The Bible talks about the fact when your roots are laid down by the riverbed, you will always be fruitful and your leaf will never wither. Why? Because your roots go down deep to the, the source of the water is. So even though there's a drought at the top, there's no drop at the, drought at the bottom and you're fully supplied so you can have fruit. Ezekiel 17, 8 says, It was planted in good soil by many waters to bring forth branches, bear fruit, and become a majestic vine. That's God's best for you to be majestic. All right, the next step to being built by God is commitment. Commitment. But as for me, I would seek God, and to God I would commit my cause. Who does great things? Now, this is what he's talking about. I commit to you my cause, my life, my ways, because you do great things, unsearchable, marvelous things without, num without measure or number. Commit means this. It means to carry into deliberate action. When I commit something, I'm deliberate about my actions. It also means to obligate oneself. You don't have to do what God says to do. You can do whatever you want to do. You don't have to do the right thing. You can do what you want. You don't have to come to church. But what happens is when you become a believer in God, you want to obey him, so you obligate your actions. I commit to you. I commit to your ways. There, therein lies the issue, church. Most people do not want to obligate themselves. They don't want to trouble themselves. They want to do them. They want to do their own thing. Every single person, including this person right here, wants to do their own thing. When we don't find the value in commitment, here's what happens. We end up being quitters because we did not obligate ourselves. Anything in life, if you want to be good at it, you have to obligate yourself to that. Otherwise, you end up quitting in life. We start well, but we are terrible finishers. We can't have people just starting good. It has to be more than that. We have to be able to learn to say, I'm a good finisher too. When I start, I set out to finish. If we, if this is what happens. If we don't like it anymore, what happens is we just say, well, I'm just going to break my commitment. I don't have to do that anymore. And that's why, and I won't talk about this for just a second. That's why our marriages have become so weak. Because I believe that once you say, I do, you did. I'm preaching better than y'all want to shout. For some reason, this side of the room is a lot louder than this side of the room. I don't know what's going on in this side of the room, but I'm going to bring you in. Hallelujah. Y'all are going to get redeemed today. Hallelujah. My point to you is this, is that that's the problem, that we know that 50, over 50% 50 of marriages end up in divorce in the first five years. And did you know the statistics are no different in the church amongst God's people? That is not God's best for God's people. I get that there are extending circumstances, extenuating circumstances. I understand that. There are from time to time. But for the most part, it's because we weren't willing to go all the way. If you start something, come on, you got to finish something. I told my wife, to death do we part. I may have to kill you, but. No, I'm just kidding. I would never do that. She might want to do that to me. But we're forever married. That woman right there is my best friend. I don't have any other best friends. She's my best friend. I committed to her. We are one. How many years? 33 years. Going on 34 years. But I've been with her a little longer. We met in 1983. How many years is that? That's a lot of years. Hallelujah. That's a long time ago. That was another world ago. And we've been together since we were teenagers. We've been together ever since. You can do it. Come on now. Your commitment is what is needed to bring to pass your desire. 
Whatever you desire means you have to obligate yourself to it. And the Bible says in Psalms 37, 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he what? Shall bring it to pass. If I do what? If I, and what does commit mean? I have to obligate myself. If I obligate myself to God, his way, his way, his word, then he'll bring to pass what I've committed. All right, let's go a little higher. The next step in order for us to have a life built by God is to serve. Is to serve. Jesus said, if you would be great, learn to serve. Serving is the way to promotion. Did you know that? Serving is the way to promotion and it's the way to blessing. Serving is where you develop the untapped abilities and innate qualities that you have inside of you that you may never even knew you had. The only way that you find out is by actually stepping up to the plate and beginning to serve. My, my first ministry that I had, I wanted to preach the gospel. I wanted to, I wanted to have a microphone in my hand. I wanted to do all that. But my first ministry was janitor duty. So my wife and I, we committed our way and said, we'll make sure when the church just started, we were meeting in the school building. This was years ago, back in 1989. And uh, we had started a church in Beloit with my folks. And, and, uh, and uh, they started, and we were part, partnered with them to, to help them and complete that task. And so uh, our, our responsibility was to make sure the bathrooms looked good after we used it. We rented the facility. There's no, make sure there's no spit wads on the, the, the mirror. Come on, y'all. Make sure that the toilets weren't stuffed up with toilet paper and whatever kids put in those things sometimes, right? So our job was to make sure that was done. And we did it with a smile on our face, didn't even think about it, just did it. Now, I will tell you, I don't believe I'd be standing here unless I first said yes to what God obligated me to do way back then. I didn't get no amens, hardly, no clapping, hardly. Because everybody wants to talk about the glory of the, the big thing that you want to do. But we don't understand there are steps that we have to obligate ourselves to in order for it to come back. So then we, I did, did that, we did that. Then we did youth ministry for a while. Then music ministry for a while. Then theater ministry. And it went on and on and on. We became responsible and obligated ourselves to whatever God wanted us to do. Listen, if all you think about at work is punching uh, out the clock at the end of the day, just waiting the clock out, then all you'll ever receive from that company is going to be a paycheck. But when you've got a servant's heart, you start thinking differently. What can I do to make this or someone else's experience a little bit better? I don't do my work as unto the Lord. I do my work as unto God. And even if my boss doesn't respect what I do, and if I don't even like my boss, I don't work for him. I work for God. And God gave me this job. I'm preaching real good now. I'm going to go with a servant's heart. With a servant's heart. And I'm going to go and do what God's called me to do there. And then my promotion doesn't come from the east. And my promotion doesn't come from the west. And my promotion don't come from my boss or this company. My promotion comes from the Lord. Somebody say, oh, come on, church. Tomorrow morning when you go to work, you're going to go to work with a brand new mindset. I work for Jesus. I work for God. Having a servant's heart will do this for you. Look what Jesus says over this kind of behavior in Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Wow. He called him good and faithful servant. Why? Because he was real good over taking care of a few things. 
Not the big thing, not the, the whole vision, but the little things that this man obligated himself to do in obedience is what caused him to enter into the joy of the Lord and then make him ruler over much. Promotion came. Being faithful to serve with a few things uh, that God puts in front of you actually and always will be rewarded. Um, when um, Isaac was to be married and Abraham said, it's time for my son to be married, he sent his servant out to find a bride for his son. He doesn't know what to do. Matter of fact, he's kind of freaking out because he doesn't know where to go. So he begins to pray and say, God, I need you to help me. My master has sent me out and I don't know where to go. He ends up in a little place and, and uh, he's going to give some, some um, water to his, his animals. And uh, while he's there, a woman by the name Rebecca was getting water for her family. And so he sees her and, and, he, and he gets a feeling about her. This could be the one. And, and the Lord, and, and he puts out a little fleece before the Lord. And so she comes and says, I'll give you some water, just as he prayed. And she said, pray. And also for your animals, too. That was the fleece that he put up before God. Then I'll know it's the one. And she said, how about me give you some water for your animals, too? He said, you're the one. She said, I'm the one for what? You're the one for Isaac. Who's Isaac? You're going to find out. Take me to your leader. Take me to your dad. And so he stayed there. God's favor was upon him. And Rebecca came as a result. And married Isaac. As a result, you have all these other children. The 12 tribes of Israel comes out of her lineage. All because, watch this, this man was able to serve his master to do what's right. And she was willing to serve her family to do what's right. Out of the servitude, God formed a perfect union. David was another one who was anointed to be king over Israel, but not before he was willing to serve his father and some sheep. Ruth was another one that would marry Boaz, and uh, Boaz would, be, uh, would start the lineage of Jesus Christ. And that was a, it's a beautiful story in itself, but she didn't get that until she was willing to serve her mother-in-law. Elisha was one who poured water on the hands of Elijah, and as a result of his serving the man of God, he reaped not only his mantle, but a double portion of his anointing and became a greater and mightier uh, a prophet in those days. Let's, let's take this now a little bit higher. The next step to have, having our life or our house being built by God is honor. Everybody say honor. honor. And church, this is something I see that we have lost big time over the years. And you'd think it'd just be in the world, but no, sir, it's also in the church. We've lost the ability or the art, if you will, to honor. And we've got to bring honor back. It's something I talk about every single year, and I think we do get a little bit better uh, at that. But we've got to bring it back. Look, we've got to learn to honor the people in our community, honor the people that God, families that God sends into our lives, and the families that God sends into this church. Learn to honor one another. But we also need to learn to honor the people that, that are in our lives. In particular, we need to honor God, God-given leadership that God has given you in your life, that God has chosen and placed in your life. you got to learn to do that. Look what it says in Psalm chapter 133, verse 1. God gives us a picture of how he intends for us to receive from him. Here's what it says. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together. How? In unity. In unity. That's God's best. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down the beard. Where does the anointing oil start? From the head. Where does it go next? Down into the beard. Then it says running down the edge of the garments, right? 
It's like the dew of Hermon, the descending from the mountains of Zion. From there, the Lord commanded the blessing life forevermore. In other words, God is saying, my anointing starts from the top and moves in to the rest. It's leadership, top, all the way down to the garment, all the way to cover the rest of the body. God's always done it that way. Even our systems in the world are set up the same way, structures set up the same way. It's God's way of doing business. And so there needs to be that honor in check. Um, I, I, I hate, when I was a kid, I hated to be told what to do by people in authority. I don't know about you, but I always bucked authority. All right, I'll just tell them myself. Y'all looking at me, and I know y'all are liars out there the way you're looking at me, praise God. I still buck authority. I don't like to be told what to do. I want to make my own mind what I want to do, right? Everybody feels that way. It's kind of like human nature, right? That's why your little bitty baby, right, when they get a little bit just old enough to walk, my, my grandbaby now is old enough. She's walking around, right? Now she's everywhere. And so you hear a lot, don't touch that. Don't pick that up, right? Because kids don't know. They're curious, right? But you ever see a kid, don't do that. And they stop, and then they go. And they can't even help themselves. It's human nature to not like to be told what to do. When I was a kid, I always put that to the test. And, and my dad, one day was something, I don't even remember what happened, broke out. I, I think I was like 13 years old. And, um, and uh, you know how you are when you're, you're a young teenager, so you're feeling your oats. And, and I got some argument with him, and I'll never forget it. And I just started to go up the, up the stairs, and then I had a few choice words to say, turned around and said before I went up the stairs. And so I remember I was standing on the third, third or fourth stair. I'm looking down at my dad, and I'm like, bang, bang, bang. And then I said, I, 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 said, I can't wait till I'm of age. I said, I, but I said, even if I'm not of age, I could leave right now and make it on my own. I didn't know how to wipe my butt yet properly. Praise God, 13 years old. But yet I can make it on my own. Right? But you know what my dad did? He said, son, I believe you're right. You probably could. He said, you're a pretty strong kid. You probably could make it on your own. And he said, but he said, son, that's not what I want for you. I don't want you to leave this house. I love you. And the fact that I love you and keeping rules doesn't change the situation. You're still going to keep my rules because this is my house and this is what I say you're going to do. But I don't want you to leave. I want you to learn to submit to what I'm asking you to do. They won't hurt you. And son, by the way, he said this to me, and it just blew my mind. He said, no matter where you go in life, no matter what you do in life, you'll have to learn to answer to somebody else. I hated that. I had my met, You know how your head's going, you want to have that quick comeback? Well, what about this? And I thought, no, I'll still have to answer to somebody. That's just the way that it is. Yeah, this is true. We don't like to be told what to do. But in fact, God, God is the one who puts godly leadership in front of us. And by the way, submission to godly authority um, is easy when you realize that your blessing is tied to the person that God has given leadership over you in. And the enemy is trying to lay a trap of offense. I have been offended by my leaders, no doubt about it. I'm pastors, I have been offended, no doubt about it. But I, 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 I've learned to say, even though I don't like it, even though I don't agree with it, and even though I don't even understand it, if I'll submit to it, I, I'm still going to honor God no matter what. And, I, and by doing that, I'm honoring him. And I found out that most of the times I ended up being wrong. Can you believe that? That we can actually be wrong? 
that somebody with more experience might actually know what they're talking about, right? Because everybody loves to be Monday morning cornerbacks. I love it. If we would have just done this, we would have won. You don't even know what you're talking about. You've never played a day in professional ball, but yet you have all the answers, right? Isn't that something? And so what happens is when offense comes, it's a trap by the enemy. That's what the Bible calls scandalon. And scandalon means to lay a trap, to dig a pit and to put sharp implements at the bottom of the, of the, of the pit and then cover over the top so nobody can see it. And that's laid there for the animal to walk into and be trapped and, and then ultimately killed, right? Destroyed. The same thing is what that word scandalon means. It means offense. Offense is where it comes from. And that means the devil is laying a trap for you. Every time you got offended, think of it. Every time you've been offended, God saying, beware, the enemy is laying a trap for you. Because your blessing and breakthrough is tied in to that man or that woman of God. Honor is not an emotion. It's a decision that is intentionally made. I'm making a decision. Because if I led by my emotions, I'd have quit this a long time ago. I would have been dishonoring. But look what the word says about this in 1 Timothy chapter 5. It says, verse 17, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and doctrine. Okay? God is making it clear that those who deliver the word of God to his people should have honor. I'm a champion of pastors. I love pastors. When I go to the church, man, I make sure they understand they're a big deal to me. And I, we bless we bless our children with money. We, we, we come bearing gifts because we want to honor them. Well, you just want to impress them. Most of the time, the people that, I, that we go to are people that don't have a whole lot. So I don't need to try to impress somebody. I might even be further in life than they are. That's not the point. When I walk into their world and their house, I will always show them honor. Wherever I go, if there's somebody that's older than me, somebody that's older than me, I always make sure I go to show them honor. And then I try to honor my people, the people that are in my life. Even when I get upset with you, I'm going to show you honor. But to me, that means to respect you, right? Right. So to me, uh, when someone says, well, I'm, I'm, I'm behind you, Pastor, to me, it isn't about getting behind me. It's about being with me, Right? I'm looking for a church to get with what I'm doing, to work in unity so that oil can flow from all, to all of us. That's what God wants. And once we're in unity, then the anointing can flow. And when you're with me and not behind me, you learn to shoulder the load and take on the responsibility to be with me in this house. It can't be Jeff Pruitt's church. It's got to be all of our church together. And some of y'all don't feel like you're a part of it, but that's just the enemy trying to keep you away from it. Absolutely, you're not here for no reason. You're here to help shoulder the load so that we can go out, win more people with Jesus Christ. If there's anything we know about this ministry, over 1,000 people were saved last year. We'll have over 1,000 people saved this year. New people, unique people. And even more now that we're on the Internet and our online campus. I'm telling you, folks, this is good ground ministry that will bless your life. But I don't need you behind me. I need you with me, right? Amen. All right, let's go a little higher. Next and last step is giving. Giving. There is no doubt that even the very laws of physics tells us that, we, that if we want a harvest, we got to first plant a seed. If you want a baby, 
It has to start with a seed. You give a seed, there will be a what? Harvest as a result. Everything in life is seed time harvest. Seed time for it to happen, and then the harvest comes. Seed, time, harvest. The same is true in the kingdom of God. All the wishing for financial abundance won't give it to you. Listen, all the praying for financial abundance will not give you financial abundance either. Wait a second, pastor. Hold everything. I'm a spiritual person, and I am praying for my income to rise. Okay, keep praying. But while you're praying, use the faith action step of giving. And the two mixed together in the New Testament brings up a memorial before God. A memorial before God means it's a memory that God cannot forget. He sees the prayer. He sees the giving. Malachi 3.8 says, will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you, 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 for, uh, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food or sustenance. In my house, and try me now. And this says the Lord of hosts if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed for you. Oh, I like that song, blessed. Come on, bless. I almost did it in the right key, too. Praise God. Oh, that's a good song. I don't know if I want to bring it back, but it's a good song. For you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Okay. Pretty clear to me, right? Now, I guess I'm going to say some things in the future, but I don't have it all together. I'm studying some things right now. But, man, when I, when I think about what's going on with our people, when I look at you and I hear some of the stories and I hear where you're at in life and I feel and you feel, too, that you should be further along in life, I, I will tell you what I've been because I've been fasting and praying. And this coming week, we're going to take it to the next step. We're going to, I'm going to, my wife and I are going to go complete fast. So uh, be praying for us. But I, I'm, because I'm, I'm, I'm seeking God for something, for you. When I see, and, and the Lord just spoke it so clearly, he said, son, it's hard for them. I said, yeah, Lord, it is hard for them. He said, no, you understand. I'm saying it's hard for them because they're working with a curse. And the only, because curse means to make something hard, means to put you in cruel bondage or to toil and spin with no, little to no results at all. Spin, spin, spin. That's when the curse came and made it hard for Adam to work in the garden. He had to work by the sweat of his brow. And he had to come up against thorns and thistles. And now he had to completely change all the method because before it was with ease. And now he's working his fingers to the bone. He said it's hard for them because they're working under a curse. And the Bible tells us specifically there's no way to remove the curse. You cannot pray that curse away. That curse comes by giving, tithes, and offerings. I just don't believe that. Well, you can just rip it out of your Bible. But as for me and my house, this is what we believe and this is what we'll do. And we have seen the blessing of God on our lives. And that's why we're not going to work under a curse in our personal finances or a personal life ever because God's blessing is upon us and he wants his blessing on you as well. So will a man rob God? Sure we will. When you dip into his pocket by saying, this is for me, mine. I'll give you what I can here and there. 
But when you make up your mind to make a commitment that your ways are committed to God, and you've obligated yourself to God, then he brings forth the delight and desire of your heart. You build what he wants, he builds what you want. I don't know about you, but 2020, if I were you, I'd be saying, honey, I tell my wife, we are getting the curse off of our lives. This is over. And someone said, well, I do okay, but you don't do good enough. But for you to reach your next level, for you to go where God's taking you, that's not enough. It's time for the next level. Amen. So God made it simple to understand, but not easy to do. Because if it were easy to do, everybody would do it. Why? Because giving doesn't come from your wallet. Giving comes from the heart first. And if you don't have the heart for God's house, heart for his kingdom, heart for his ways, heart for what he wants to do, you'll never, ever give. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, Jesus said, there your heart will be also. It's impossible. It's enamored. It's impossible to separate. My heart is always linked to my giving. God wants your heart. He wants to be first and be put first. In that way, he can be the one who supplies your need. But if he's not supplied, you'll never be supplied fully. Um. Mark chapter 4, verse 26. Did you feel that conviction walk over the whole crowd? The whole crowd went, uh, yeah. Yeah, we got to tell the truth and shame the devil is what we got to do. Mark four twenty six, And he said, the kingdom of God is if, if a man should scatter seed in the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Look, if you plant a seed, you can expect a harvest. There's no shame in that. Matter of fact, isn't that kind of foolish to plant seeds and not expect a harvest? When we know the principle works, but if there's no seed, there can be no harvest. And the Bible says if you sow little, you'll still reap, but you leap. Reap what? Little. But if you sow much, you reap what? Much. Correct? So we got to make up our mind. How are we going to do this? Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put in your bosom. I mean, this God did not have to do any of this. He could just say, give what's mine. I don't need to do nothing for you. You got air today? All right. You're breathing, right? That's all you need then. But not our God. He says, if you give, it'll be given back to you. But not just what you sowed. He said, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Come on, somebody. Shout like you want a harvest in your life. That's how we're built by God. Built God tough. You know, Ford tough, built God tough, right? And that way we're, we're on a sure foundation and we'll never be shaken. Those principles, you operate those principles, you're going to start seeing God doing marvelous, tremendous, powerful thing. Amen. Did you all enjoy the word today? All right, give the Lord one more shot of praise.